Well, before I had a um, unscheduled break last week, uh, we were starting a new series on the effect of the gospel. On we spent a, f- a few weeks on talking about what the gospel is: creation, fall, and then redemption in Jesus Christ. That good news. But then, what does that look like? And we're going to be spending weeks looking on what does that look like in, in character? What does that look like in justice? What does that look like in all levels of society? But we started a couple of weeks ago looking at Nicodemus and what that looks like even in the life of a, a religious insider. But this week we're going to look at somebody else. We're going to look at an outsider. Somebody who's otherwise so far from, from seemingly from the grace of God. But then Jesus comes to her. So this week we're going to be looking at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, and it's in John chapter 4. Last week, or a couple of weeks ago, we looked at chapter 3. Now we're going to be jumping into chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Listen to the word of God. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus asked asked her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now, now have, is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. This is the word of the Lord. This is a stunning passage. And as we come to it, let's come with prayer. Lord, we, hear, we read your word and we want, we want to fathom it, not just as intellectual exercise or academic understanding, but as your word working in our hearts and our lives, illuminating your truth of ourselves, of our world, of the call you place upon us. So guide my words, God, guide all of our hearts and lives as we stand before your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a number of just stunning things in this passage. And the first stunning thing about this passage is that everything about this situation is wrong. It's wrong. A man should not, would not, could not associate in any way with a woman like her. The relationship of these two talking at the well breaks every boundary of that society and of that world. So much so that it would likely only happen when those two are alone because neither one of these societies would let, let it happen because of race and religion and gender and moral status and social standing. In every way, she is an outsider to Jesus. As much as Nicodemus in the previous chapter is the ultimate insider to the Jews, she is the ultimate outsider. And so let's go down the list of the barriers between these two very quickly. First of all, she's a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans have a history, and it's not a positive one. It is a history that has led to utter and complete division. These two races, they do not talk to each other. And by race and religion, they are utterly separate, even hating each other. Secondly, she's a woman. 
And no man would dare approach and talk to a strange woman like this. Thirdly, something is morally wrong with her. Jesus gets very specific later, but the fact that she is there at the height of the sun at noon tells us that she is an outcast among her own people. Noon's definitely not the best time to go out and get water at the well. She's only doing it because that's the only time she can do it alone. There is nothing about her that deserves his attention or his favor. In her own society, she's entitled to nothing. As much division as we have in our society, and, and we all know there's more fracturing in, uh, among us than maybe any time since the Civil War. Let your imagination go there. But that is nothing to compare to the enormity of the division represented by these two people in this story. And yet Jesus comes to her. He engages her and makes her a free offer. A free offer of living water. Of eternal life. It's so very clear that he's just very simply offering her a gift. And, and she who has nothing, nothing to offer in return is only asked to receive it. The only thing that would stop her is pride. All she needs is humility to receive it. And he doesn't coerce her or demand that she take it. He's not forcing her into anything. He's very simply offering her a free gift. It's, it's pure gift in the offer. The answer to who, if we ask who and what and how in this passage, the answer to who is to the one humble enough to receive this gift. Jesus comes, comes to the one for whom there are no other boundaries except the humility to receive. That's who he comes to. And that, that should be all of us. Then we've got to ask the question, what? What is this offer? What is it that he's offering? He, he, he first offers it as living water. Now water, it's the most fundamental element that we're made up of. It is the element most necessary, maybe that in oxygen, and I don't think in his world they were thinking of oxygen, but they did talk a lot about breath, even from the very beginning. Breath and water. It, it, that's what we need. And our souls crave for something. And, and water represents that craving more than anything else. Our souls cra crave for something, and Jesus is offering it. He's the only one who has it. There's a, a famous existentialist philosopher named Albert Camus whose philosophy may characterize the spirit of our age maybe more than anything else. And in this famous philosopher, he recognized our soul's need, and he despaired of ever finding it. He, he called us to live boldly and honestly in the face of emptiness. This need for God 
but he himself believed that he's simply not there. That's as good a picture as our, of our current world maybe as any. Some, some agnostic writers call our secular world haunted by God. But here, here we have Jesus offering her living water. Offering her to have that need, that need that the philosophers talk about, that need to be sated forever, satisfied for all time. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, look at the greatness of this. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not an ethic. It's not a practice. It's not an experience, though it has those things. It's something much greater and more radical than that. Jesus is saying, I have that which every human soul longs for. And I will not just satisfy you with it, but I will change your inside so much your very soul and heart are new. You will have a whole new purpose, a whole new joy, a whole new dynamic in your inner being. What Jesus offers this Samaritan woman is all any soul is ultimately looking for. That's the what? The living water. But then we get to the final question of how. It's the question she's ultimately asking. What is this living water and how do I get it? And Jesus responds by asking her to go get her husband. Now, some might today be offended by that kind of response to her question. But he's pointing out to her, he's pointing out to her the the place where she has put all her effort in trying to satisfy her own fundamental need for living water. The way she's tried to satisfy herself is through men. And he knows that about her and is gently pointing it out to her. The thing is, men, men aren't providing for this need in her. As a matter, not the way that she needs it. As a matter of fact, it has only led to her shame and even greater loss and greater emptiness. And now she's alone at the well looking for something. Jesus comes into that isolation and exposes that failure and, and shows that he knows her. He knows her Now, she is duly terrified. Can you imagine someone coming and seeing through you that way? You're you're identifying your deepest sin, your shame. He's got her, and she knows it. And she calls him a prophet, and she's right, and she's terrified. And so she does... I'm sure she's very skilled at this based on the style of her life to this point. She tries to redirect the conversation. So, where's the right place to worship? And and, and it's safe for her to bring up religious differences and, and get away from her own exposed shame. So, rather, okay, who's right? The Jews or the Samaritans? 
It's almost comical what she's trying to do. And, and we'll come back to Jesus' answer in a minute. But recognize what he's doing. In the previous chapter, Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Jesus immediately identified what his barrier to faith was. It was pride in his religious position and achievement. And Jesus challenged it head on and told Nicodemus he must be born again. He must let go of everything he's achieved and let God come to him with pure grace. And to receive God humbly and and rather than try and coerce God's favor by the force of his own religious position. This time, Jesus starts with a charming offer of life to a woman who has no pride. And he's offering both, both of them, Nicodemus and her, the same thing, the same good news. But he does it in completely different ways. One in defeating Nicodemus' pride, and the other by identifying and healing her shame. We can learn something about evangelism, about reaching out to people through these two encounters with Jesus, these back-to-back encounters. There's no one way of doing it. There's no one way of having conversations with people. There's no template for how to evangelize. The the gospel is the same. But there's no one way to help people see it from wherever they're positioned to identify and overcome their own obstacles to it and to accept it. What is the same with both Nicodemus and the woman at the well is that it's personal. Coming to faith in Jesus is an absolute personal journey, a personal decision, but it's the same Jesus that they come to meet. Jesus loved them. He loved all the people around them. And he knew them intimately and their needs and how they sought to meet them. And at the same time, Jesus was utterly courageous in how he met those needs. He knew them and he offered himself to them. That's how he helped them. Let me circle back to the what again and come to the tail end of this passage. When, when uh, the woman at the well asks about worship, he gives her an explanation also of what the living water is. The hour is come and is now here. Temples and Worship is where people would go for the priests to offer sacrifices so that that deep need would be met, the need for the living water. But the thing is, those temple sacrifices, while they pointed to that need, they never fully fulfilled it. So they had to keep coming back again and again. But now, Jesus is here. He is the final high priest. He is the final sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the living water. So you never need thirst again. He's the place to go. 
or more literally for her, he's come to her and offered himself to satisfy the deepest need of her life. And it's very clear she gets it. She gets not only that her sin and shame is exposed before him, but that she's ultimately and finally healed and forgiven and known and loved the way she always longed to be. Her response is that she goes and tells her friends in town. They must have seen enough in her. Something dramatic must have happened here. And so they go, they go back to check him out for themselves. And then they meet Jesus. And as the story continues, they themselves are transformed as well. Now, this may seem like the hardest time in our lifetime to be able to tell people about Jesus, about our faith, because the boundaries have grown and civility has shrunk and agendas and feelings and issues and hurts have all become supercharged and extra sensitive and all the buttons are ready to be pushed. It's harder than ever to talk to people who aren't already just like us. And frankly, ultimately, no one's already just all the way like us. Truth, trust, I should say, trust has all but disappeared in our communities. And we're ready to disagree at all times. Somehow, somehow, Jesus crosses the divide and talks to a Samaritan woman at the well in the middle of the day. And he explains the gospel to her. And he makes a gracious offer. Living water is the way things were always meant to be. And he shows her that he knows her, knows the enormity of her need and her pain and her brokenness. He knows her. And he makes it clear to her that his offer, his offer speaks to all of it. We know where that offer is going to ultimately lead is that he takes all of his brokenness, all of her sin upon himself and he dies for her. That's, that's the hope of living water for her and for all of us. And as we experience that living water ourselves, we become like her and we run back and tell our friends and tell our loved ones, tell our community. Evangelism is us walking across every division and not to tell people how they're wrong, but with an offer of the greatest love they've never known but always sought. With understanding for their brokenness because Jesus has understood ours and taken it upon himself. And with living water and true, fulfilling worship. Our hope and salvation 
and new life are in Jesus. That's just the gospel in any and every conversation. Let's let's pray. Lord, we hear the story of the woman at the well. We can see and feel her isolation from certainly the Jews, but even from her own community where she stands out there in the heat of the day by herself. And and we know her brokenness. And God, sometimes we feel her brokenness in our own. But God, we also know you've come to each one of us and called us to receive of your living water, the living water of your grace and goodness, of a hope not in our own achievement, not in our own ability to overcome our own sin, but in you taking our sin upon yourself and dying for us, but rising to new life, life that we now can have in you, your living water. So God, help us to both partake of that water every day and even as we come to this table and to share that living water with others as we share you and our hope in you. God, thank you for your word. May our lives and our continued worship and our tithes and our offerings, may everything be a response of gratitude for your free gift of living water in Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.